Okay, so the subject matter this evening is, it, it's, you know, it's really not instructive, it's exhortative. I'm going to talk to you about prayer, and my main point really is to beg you to make prayer a regular part of your life. And also to tell you what prayer is, because a lot of people, they, they're really not sure. I haven't seen movies for years, but once upon a time there was a movie called Evan Almighty, which was, which was a sequel to the movie Bruce Almighty with Jim Carrey. And there's a scene in Evan Almighty where he has to pray, and he gets about two lines into it before he starts reciting the Pledge of Allegiance because he just doesn't know how to pray. So a lot of people don't know how to pray. Um, but uh, little notes here I've got that this is likely the most important thing that I'll say. And the reason why this is the most important thing that I'll say is because the reason why any of this exists, the reason why we have a church, the reason why we have a building, the reason why I've told you anything, is that you might enter into a love relationship with God. That's what it's all about, right? That's why we do everything that we do. And quite honestly, without prayer, it won't happen. Okay? Prayer is this mysterious living out of your relationship with the mystery of the Spirit of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay? Um, and it takes a little bit of doing uh, to, 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 to try to pray. And that's why I say this is the most important thing of all. Because it's what makes that relationship possible. So I'm really actually begging you to, to do this. Okay, uh, so I've got a number of things in here. And the first thing to understand is that prayer is a love relationship with God. And most people don't understand this. If I had to ask people what prayer was, I think most people would think of it as something that you do to obtain something that you want, right? So you're in a foxhole and the bombs are going off, and you promise God anything under heaven if he'll just get you through the next, you know, the, the battle. You can live in to see the, the sunrise one more day. So it's a deal, right? God, I'll do my part, but you better hold up your end of the bargain. That's what most people think prayer is, and for this reason, people say prayer doesn't work. And this is a grand misunderstanding. Do you know that paganism... That is, like, if I could go back in time to ancient Greece, if I could go to ancient Mesopotamia, if I could go back in time to the Mesoamerican, you know, the Aztec steppe pyramids, any culture in the world, whether they all their pantheon, they all had prayer. But you know what their prayer was? Their prayer was very simple. Their prayer was the execution of a certain number of rituals, that if they did that, they obtained something. And if they didn't do it right... They wouldn't obtain it. Like, so for example, everybody's heard of the goddess of love, Aphrodite. Mm -hmm. Well, you'd go to the temple of Aphrodite, if you ever lived in ancient Greece, you had a crush on somebody, and you'd offer the right grain cereal offerings, and Aphrodite was supposed to deliver the goods. Your crush was supposed to crush back on you. And that's the way it was supposed to work. Well, a lot of people live their Christian faith like that. And they go to the God, they go to God and they say, God, this is what I want. Listen, Lord, your servant is speaking. And listen up, God. And then if God, they, I'm going to do my part, right? I'm going to go to Mass. I'm going to say this rosary here. And you better hold up. They don't say this in this many words, but this is what they mean. You better hold up your end of the bargain or I'm really going to be hacked off. And then God doesn't hold up his end of the bargain. And people say prayer doesn't work. That's paganism, right? Um, imagine if that's the way you approached all your relationships in life. Imagine if you went to your sweetheart or your spouse he said, okay, here's the deal. This is what I want you to do, and this is what I'm going to give you in exchange for it, okay? Deal? I don't know. The deal might work. 
on a few times, but eventually they'd say, wait a minute, isn't there more to us than uh, this kind of mercenary exchange? And God kind of wants to say the same thing to you. Isn't there more to us than this mercenary exchange by which you make me promises and I'm supposed to deliver goods? Prayer is a love relationship with God. And like any other relationship in your life, there's a, a, there's a, a relationship between how how close you two are and the way you live. So I've told you about my famous friend who wouldn't put his shoes away and it pissed off the wife, right? Pardon me for saying pissed off. Um, and the wife, they didn't, she's, every day she says, put your shoes away. And every day he say, I'm not putting my shoes away. Well, if he put his shoes away, they'd actually grow closer. Because the way you live affects your closeness with another person a wife who hates this husband's cigar smoke, but he keeps smoking cigars. Well, if he put the cigars away, it would... And what did Jesus say? If you love me, what did he say? If you love me... Can anyone finish the sentence? If you love me, Jesus says, keep my commandments. If you want to pray well, take everything that the Lord told us in the commandments and live it as generously as you possibly can, and your prayer will become great. Right? There's a relationship between how you pray and how you live. I hope that makes sense because it's a relationship. Now, the opposite also true is also true. If you violate God's commandments, if I don't know, let's just be really extreme. If you're, I don't know, seeing prostitutes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and then you go and pray, don't be surprised when your prayer is really dry. Okay, why? Because it's a sham. You claim to love God with your words, but you're not backing it up with the way you live. Okay, so this is what happens. Pray well, and you will pray better. Pray better, and you will live better. Live better, and you'll pray better. And so on, and so on, and so on. It's always spiraling upwards. The reverse also works. Live badly, or pray badly, and you will pray worse. And then you'll live worse, and then then you'll stop praying altogether. And that one spirals down and down and down. You you realize, of course, every relationship is always living. It's never static, right? Every relationship in your life is, at this moment, either getting stronger or getting weaker. It's never the same, because it's a living thing. And it's the same with God, too, okay? So it's always growing, this dynamic. So there's another thing to understand about prayer. There's no technique to prayer. A lot of people think, well, you know, the way you pray, first you start off with some breathing exercises, and then you light a candle, and then you get a prayer rug, and you get a statue. And Now, don't get me wrong. There are things you can do that can help your prayer. Like, if there's a favorite place, uh, don't neglect that. Some people like to light a candle. Don't neglect that either. Um, but if you think that those techniques make your prayer work, you have to realize that, that, that well, can you, can you imagine anything else? Like, if you want to get along well with, with your wife, what you need, first you need a rug, okay? Uh, and then you need to light a candle, and, you know? And, th- and, then, and then, you know, you need to get in your favorite corner. It's like, well, wait a minute. You'd realize how ridiculous that was. A technique can't make a relationship, can it? No. A relationship is very simple. It's the giving of your whole self. When you give of your whole self, heart, mind, and soul, um, the other person can tell. And, um, you know, there was a, uh, a commercial for uh, a diamond company uh, about 10 years ago. Now, I haven't watched television for years. 
but about 10 years ago there was a commercial and this man was trying to get to his wife for their anniversary and he was snowed in anybody seen this commercial anyway he's snowed in and he calls from the airport back in the days before cell phones he's on a pay phone that's how old this commercial is and he says oh this is so awful I'm not going to get here and the wife's all teary you gotta get here it's our anniversary and like a couple minutes later you see that he's like bribed the own, the, 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 the city snowplow guy to, to give him a ride to his house and, and he shows up and he gives her the ring right um, and she's just absolutely floored because why? Because he gave his whole self to get to that house, didn't he? That's what makes relationships grow. And that's the way your prayer grows. And so please understand that, okay? The beginning of any real prayer life is a conversion of your heart. And there's only two things you can give your heart to. At the end of the day, can I summarize a whole lot of spirituality for you? There's only two things you can give your heart to in the end of the day. You either give it to God or you give it to yourself. Honestly, that's what it comes down to. Either you give it to God and in so doing to everyone else because you forget about yourself. Or you say, the hell with God and everybody else, I'm doing what I want. In the end of the day, that's ultimately what heaven is and what hell is. Heaven is a place where you've forgotten about yourself because you're so given over to God and others. And hell is a place in which everyone is absolutely self-absorbed, which is what makes it hell, right? You know, we don't like people like that. Imagine being stuck with them forever. You don't want to go there. Okay, um, so this is the importance of prayer. It's a love relationship with God. Make sense? Okay. Now, here's a big question. Why pray? If God knows everything I need, and if God's all-powerful, then why should I have to pray? Can I cut right to the chase on there? That goes back to my old paganism image. If God knows everything that I need, then why should I have to pray? What does that presume? That presumes that I'm going to God to make him give me something. Uh, you know, imagine if you ask that question of any other relationship. Um, well, geez, you know, if my friend knows that I care about him, why do I need to get up, why do I need to get a, go travel across town and actually see him? He knows that I care, doesn't he? You know, if my wife knows that I love her, geez, why do I act to, you know, like, hang out with her? I mean, doesn't she know? <laughs> so... But it's, it's, it's like a mercenary thing, once again. Why pray? Again, it goes back to it being a relationship. Somebody once asked Bill Gates, why don't you go to church? And he answered very honestly. He said, because there are so many more profitable things I can do with my time. Now, I commend him for his honesty, but he's dead wrong. There's nothing more profitable that he can do with his time. And you want to know why? Because if you want to be truly rich, set your heart on what's truly valuable. And what's truly valuable, dollars or relationships? I'm telling you, if, you're, if you have love of God and others in your life, it's worth more than all the money in the world. All the money in the world might make you think that it's more valuable, but it's actually a lie. Um, you know, you realize there's an inverse relationship between... Be getting divorced and everything. This is true. There's an inverse relationship Basically. between the wealth of a country and the suicide and, and the... Um, I'm sorry, a direct relationship between the wealth of a country and the suicide rate of a country. Do you know that? The poorest countries don't have suicide. It's, it's amazing. I was in Rwanda. I was in Haiti. Dirt floors. And happy people. And they told me directly, don't you glorify life in Rwanda. It's hard. And I said, okay, I won't. But I need you to understand, you're happier than people back in Fairfax, you know, where I live. You just, just please know that. Um, um, Probably less angry, too. And less angry and all that. So, so why pray? Well, first of all, 
I need you to understand that without this relationship with God, you aren't happy. You have to think about this one, all right? You human being are the only creature on the face of the earth that is not content just to be who you are. You always want something more. Who's ever heard of Simon and Garfunkel back in the day? Okay. They had a, they had a line from one of their songs, and they said, I'm empty and I'm aching and I don't know why. Well, I could have told them why. They don't have God in their life, and no matter what they have, fame, wealth, success, gold records, it's just not enough. There was a band called Switchfoot about 10 years ago, and they had a song called We Want More Than This World Has to Offer. First, you have to be kind of, you have to be a thinker to recognize this, but recognize this about yourself. You're not happy. You're always wanting something more, aren't you? Now, you've heard of it being snug as a bug in a rug or happy as a pig in mud. Pigs are actually happy in mud, and bugs are actually snug in rugs, but you're not. You're always, if you heard this before, people will say to a man, especially say, why don't you man up for goodness sakes? You heard that before? They'll never say that to a lady. I mean, not, they'll never say lady up. Uh, and I won't get into the reasons why. But you can only say that because well, that, that statement implies there's something about you that's not yet who you are supposed to be. And it's actually a truthful statement. You would never go back to your pet at home, stare your dog square in the eye and say, why don't you act like a dog for goodness sakes? dog up, right? Um, The dog's already 100% dog just by being a dog. But you are not who you're meant to be. And you're always wanting something more. And what I want to tell you is God is that something more and prayer is how you become deeper into this relationship that you were made for. Hand to glove. You were made for this, okay? So that's why I've got this here. Um, Without prayer, you're never at rest. You're agitated, depressed, running from something complaining about something. There's a deep, empty ache in your soul that stirs and churns like a volcano waiting to erupt. Does this sound familiar? An inner ache that you can't explain. Drives your actions, drives your plans, drives your desires, drives your dreams. A desire for something, fullness, for an infinity. And nothing in this world can satisfy. Now, people will try to satisfy this with amusements and with parties and diversions. Power, fame, physical appearance, lust, drugs, music, always more. Can I tell you, I, can I tell you I used to be in the monastery? I used to be in the monastery. And in the monastery, I lived my life in the cell. Have you ever heard of monks in their cell? I don't know if you're familiar with this terminology. But before they called a prison a cell, the, the word originally came from where the monk lives, a cell. Um, and when I was in the monastery, you know, i tell you, there were times when prayer was over and you were just in your cell. And it was the worst experience in the whole world because you were dying for a magazine to read or a game to play or something to take your mind off this deep inner ache. What's the worst punishment we give to criminals? Sorry, apart from execution. Solitary confinement. Because it forces you to face the fact that you're aren't enough all by yourself. Now, can I tell you, jump right to the, to the conclusion, for the deepest, holiest saints, they love solitude because they're together with God. You see the difference? The saint has God in their life and solitude is the deepest joy. They, they lack for nothing. 
somebody who doesn't have God in their life, they give them solitude and it's, it, it'll drive them mad. Okay, so what I'm trying to describe to you, why pray? Because you're not enough as you are. That's why thoughtful people realize this. Thoughtful people realize this and they'll begin to seek God. Some people will seek God out of their jadedness. They just get sick of their own sins. I used to be in the fraternity in college. Believe it or not. Okay? And once I was in this fraternity party and one of the brothers in the fraternity stood up and he might have had too much to drink or I don't know. But he said to the whole party assembled, everybody in the fraternity party, he said, all of you are a bunch of damned sinners and you're all going to hell and I quit. And he walked out of the fraternity. And of course we all laughed, right? But why did he say it? He was dead serious. He was deadly serious. Why did he say it? Because he was sick somewhere in his soul of his own sins. And he was like, like, like a spiritual act of vomiting is what it was. And that can be a, a key that leads people to prayer sometimes. You can get weary with mediocrity. You ever get sick of the daily commute? You ever get sick of the daily routine? You ever, at some point, look inside your heart and soul and say, there's got to be more to life than this. All right, that can lead you to prayer because there is more to life than this. And that more is not a new job and it's not a new wife and it's not a new car. That more is a new relationship and that relationship with God. And that can lead you to prayer. And then it can be a sudden grace, a sudden conversion. Plenty of saints this has happened to. St. Augustine. Um, I can tell you the story of St. Augustine. He is a very, very bad sinner and he had an experience... He said, God, show me the way. And at that moment, he heard a little boy singing a song. Didn't know where the kid was, from across a garden wall. And the song the boy was singing, the words were, take and read, take and read. And there was a Bible sitting on a desk. And he thought, well, maybe God wants me to pick up the Bible. And he picked up the Bible and he opened up the Bible to a letter of St. Paul that said, make no provision for the desires of the flesh and put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And he closed the book and it changed his whole life. Sudden grace. St. Francis of Assisi. You know the story of St. Francis of Assisi? A lot of people don't. Anyway, France, everybody knows Francis of Assisi, right? One of the yeah. famous holy people of history. Anyway, Francis of Assisi used to be a real kind of a party guy. A par- Francis of Assisi was the most popular kid in town. He was the son of a wealthy cloth merchant. Every girl wanted to be with Francis of Assisi, and every guy wanted to be Francis. And he was the life of the party. And he got this sudden grace. And he was like, this, just, this is, there's no future in this. I just, there's got to be more to life than this. And he left it all, and he went to seek God. And so that can happen. Um, uh, most people turn to pray because, you know, they say they're asking for help, but it's incomplete. So just understand, you, one of the reasons, why, why pray? Because you're unhappy. And because God is, believe it or not, what you're looking for. That's why you pray. Okay? Um, here's another reason to pray. Because the closer you are to God the more of a blessing you are to everybody who knows you. So every year, I will get first communion kids, second graders, and they'll make their first communion. And they'll make their first confession. And in they come, and you know they say innocent second grader kinds of things in confession. And you know what's interesting? Parents always follow the kids. And I'll sit down, I'll, the parent will be sitting across from me in confession, and I'll say something like, you're the biggest second grader I've ever seen. What brings you here this, this evening? And they'll say, well, my kid's making his first communion. And I'm like, yep. And I recognize my kid's taking on all of my faults, and I've got to get my own act together. Why pray? Because other people are depending on you to be good. 
and your goodness is going to come from turning to God. That's why you want to pray. You owe it to... I pray, partly because I know as a priest, people are like... People are looking to the priest. They don't know where to turn. And here's this guy who's supposed to be a man of God, and I darn well better be, right? Because I'm supposed to be a pro. Well, I better be deeply in love with the God who I profess is so important for everybody's life. You want to pray uh, because other people are depending on you, okay? And that might be the, the deepest motivation to pray of all. Did I ever tell you about the nun who I spoke with who made deep impact on me in 10 minutes? I, always, I, always have a li- I have a limited number of stories, so I hate to repeat myself. So I was going through a real crisis. This was only about 10 years ago. And I went to mission, the Missionaries of Charity. You ever heard of the Missionaries of Charity? You ever heard of Mother Teresa of Calcutta? Mother Teresa of Calcutta's sisters are called the Missionaries of Charity. And let me tell you, they're saints on earth. I really think every last one of them is. Well, I went to a special order of Missionaries of Charity. They were a contemplative sisters. All they did was pray all day. They were like super missionaries of charity. And I was their chaplain. Well, I was really going through a hard time. Sat down and talked with one nun for 10 minutes. And let me tell you, 10 minutes with her, with her was like being on retreat for two weeks. And she didn't say anything special. It was who she was. Now, have you ever experienced this? Some people can have a multiplicity of words, and it just sounds like a programmed robot or a trained parrot. Other people, just a couple well-placed words, and it really hits home. What I'd like to tell you is the difference is that person's soul. And what I'd like to tell you a step further is that person's soul is inseparable from their relationship with God. Right? You want that for everyone who knows you. And prayer will deepen it. That's why you pray. Okay? So far, so good? Okay, so what is prayer? It's really simple. Prayer is the raising of your mind and heart to God. That's all it is. What is prayer? It's when you're thinking about God and at the same time your heart is kind of like wanting to talk to God or be with That's prayer. It's not necessarily rattling off words. Right? Anytime, if you're rattling off words and you're not thinking about God, guess what you're not doing? You're not praying. Okay? So Shakespeare once said, uh, words without thoughts never to heaven ascend. Right? Uh, so you're not, you're not even praying if you're rattling off. I once programmed my computer back in the days of voice synthesis. I programmed my computer to say Hail Mary. Did the computer pray? No. There's no thought. There's no heart. Right? It's just a machine. You don't want to be like that. Every time you pray, you're raising your mind and your heart to God. You know, one in four atheists admits to praying. One in four atheists admits to praying. I would say four in four atheists would admit to praying if they thought of this definition. Anytime in, in your, even in doubt, that you say, God, are you up there? That's a prayer, right? And it's often a better prayer than this guy who rattles off the memorized prayer. So what is prayer? It's very simple. It's raising your mind and your heart to God, okay? There are prayers that we say that are ready-made, like our fathers and Hail Marys. There's a reason why we say them. The reason why we say them is because the words are so good that if you would just think about them, um, and I'm getting ahead of myself here in the notes, you'd have lots to pray about. We'll get to that in just a second, okay? Um, But the most important thing is that it's honest, that it's who you are. How do you begin, just like the Nike commercial, just do it. 
Is that still a Nike commercial? I haven't paid attention to media for years. Just do it. How do you just do it? You can pray when you're driving. You can pray when you're walking. You can pray when you're angry. You can pray when you're happy. Anytime you raise your mind and your heart to God, all right? Now, if you want to have a relationship with the Lord, though, it takes time. And we'll get to that in just a second. Please don't say my work is my prayer. Imagine a, a couple of sweethearts who say to another, we got a great relationship. You know, we just went, we just went to the grocery store together. And, and then I, I filled out my taxes and he helped me. And then he filled out his taxes and I helped him. Uh, we got a great relationship. I'd be like, okay, if you do have a great relationship, even things as mundane as that can be meaningful. But nothing as mundane as that is going to be meaningful unless something else is going on apart from those times. That's how I would say your work relates to your prayer. If you have a deep relationship with the Lord, you can love the Lord even through your work. But if you don't have other times where it's just you and God, you're fooling yourself if you say your work is your prayer. You don't have much of a relationship at all. So it, it actually takes time, right? Set aside time. Be yourself. We'll, we'll talk about how to do that in a moment, all right? Now, so far so good? All right. There's two kinds of prayer. And it's really very simple. When you, By the way, everything I say about prayer, it comes from St. Teresa of Avila and St. John of the Cross. Why St. Teresa of Avila and St. John of the Cross? Because of all the saints we've ever had in our church, they're the ones who wrote best about prayer. Everything they say about prayer, you will not recognize in the life of any other saint or in the life of any other person who you respect. I guarantee it. All they did was write a roadmap. And their roadmap is really good. It's really complete. Okay, And I hope you recognize this. That's where I'm getting this from. There's two kinds of prayer. And you'll recognize these two kinds of prayer correspond to two kinds of ways of communicating in your life. Those two ways are vocal prayer and mental prayer. Right? Vocal prayer is anything that uses words. And mental prayer is anything that doesn't use words. Okay? So uh, you say the rosary, you say the Our Father, you go to Mass. What kind of prayer is that? It's vocal prayer. Okay? Um, in the depth of your heart, you think a thought, God, come and help me. That's mental prayer. Right? Think about how that corresponds to any other relationship. Isn't it interesting, no matter what your relationship, no matter how much two sweethearts are in love, right? you could have two people, golden uh, years of their life, grayed with, with, with age, and they're the deepest in love, and it's taken them eight years of togetherness to get so deep in love, and they'll still say, honey, would you please pass the butter? Right? You'll never move past the need for words, ever. And that's the way it is in your prayer life. Right? But what's interesting about vocal prayer is the deeper your relationship, the more meaningful your words are. So you can get two people who go to Mass. One who goes to Mass and they say, this is incredibly boring, I don't get anything out of it. And somebody else who goes to the exact same Mass and they're moved to the depths of ecstatic prayer. What's the difference between the two? The difference is, how close are they to God? See, what's interesting is when somebody says, I don't get anything out of Mass, I think it's boring. They're actually indicting themselves. You know that? A saint goes to the exact same Mass. And it's the most meaningful thing they've done all week. What's the difference? The Mass or the person? Yeah, okay, so one of the things that happens is the deeper your, your relationship with God becomes, and I've talked about that, 
with, with your living, with your gospel living, with your keeping of the commandments, all this, the deeper your prayer becomes. So a nun once went to uh, St. Teresa of Avila back in the 16th century. She wanted to become a nun. She says, I think I've got a problem, though. I only know one prayer. And Teresa of Avila, who was a nun, says, what's the one prayer that you know? And the, and the woman said, well, I only know the Our Father. And she said, how long does it take you to say an Our Father? And she goes, well, sometimes it takes me 10 minutes, sometimes it takes me 20 minutes. I mean, when you really start to think about it, there's a lot in that prayer. And Teresa, says she, Teresa of Avila says, say no more, come on in, we want you. Right? So let me talk about this for just a second. Let's talk about an Our Father. You can sit there and you can rattle off an Our Father and it's like a machine gun, right? <laughs> Our Father who art in heaven, who art who art be name. It's just like a machine gun. But if you take it one word at a time, you realize how much you're saying. Now, let's take the word Father. You realize most people go to God like He's the Force from Star Wars, don't they? Or He's some kind of impersonal clockmaker who doesn't really know you or love you, but He's kind of up there somewhere in the ether. Um, you remember that? song a bunch of years ago um, um, uh, God is watching us from a distance mm-hmm. he's not watching us from a distance he's closer to you than you are from into yourself do, do you realize that God is a father in the best sense of the term think of a father with a newborn baby when you want to think of God it's just the most adoring loving intimate closeness you know the word that uh, Jesus used for father in the Bible? Abba. Remember? You know why Jesus calls his father Abba? Abba is baby talk. Do you know that? When a little baby says Dada, Mama, it's baby talk. Well, the way the Middle Eastern ear heard Dada was Abba. That's where the word Abba comes from. It's baby talk. I was looking through a book in Spanish to teach children how to speak Spanish. And it showed little tiny baby chicks, little golden chicks. And what sound, if you made a speech bubble for a little baby chick in a printed book, what word would you put in the speech bubble that the baby chick would say? Cheep, 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 or peep, 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 peep. Well, the Spanish book said P-O-P-O-P-O. And that's what these little (laughs) chicks were. That's what the Spanish ear hears. P-O-P-O-P-O, they think the baby chick says. Well, the Middle Eastern ear says, Abba. What kind of a closeness do you need to have before you can say, Dada? That's how you want to think. And that's just one word. Does that describe your relationship with God? It should. Jesus says, when you pray, say this word. Not my Father, but our Father. Now, what does that establish among us, ourselves? Family relationship. And is there anybody who's not included in that? How does that affect the way you watch the evening news? How does that affect the way you treat your neighbor? I hope my neighbor never listens to this, but I've got a really rude neighbor, literally. The loudest dog in the world. And this neighbor next door to me. doesn't care. Yeah, maybe you're my neighbor. Doesn't care that his dog is incredibly loud. Our dog poops in my yard. I try to forgive this guy, and I step in his dog. But if we really believe, when we say this, we're more than neighbors to each other, we're family. That's just the first two words. I could go on for 20 minutes. See what I mean? That's why certain ready-made prayers are so valuable. Okay. Now, the deeper your prayer life, the deeper your vocal prayer... So if you say, I don't get anything on a Mass, okay, keep praying, because there's a lot. Let me give you an example. One of my favorite prayers is Psalm 84. Okay. And there's a line from Psalm 84 that says, as they make their way through the bitter valley, 
they make it a place of springs. They walk with ever-growing strength. They will see the God of gods in Zion. Now let me tell you why that's so meaningful to me. As they make their way through the bitter valley, first of all, who's the they in this psalm? Us guys. What's the bitter valley in this psalm? Life on earth. Imagine, and this is the description of a holy soul, imagine if they could say this of you. As you make, as, you know, as, as, uh, as Fred makes his way through life, let me tell you, he makes it a place of springs. Imagine if everybody who knows you can say, because of you, you're like a breath of fresh air in my life. That's what a holy soul is like. There was a job in, in uh, London back in the days before electricity when they had gas lamps and you were a lamp lighter. And what the lamp lighter did every morning about 4 a.m., he'd have a great big long pole and he'd light the lamps. And he'd go from pole to pole, lighting all the lamps in the city. No one ever saw who the lamp lighter was because it was dark. But everybody knew the lamp lighter had been there because he left behind him a trail of light. That's how we want to be. They will... They, as they go through the Bitter Valley, they make it a place of springs. They walk with ever-growing strength. Now, tell me if this doesn't sound accurate. You come home at the end of the day, and you say, I am so tired. Damn it, I'm tired. There aren't words to describe how tired I am. Now, I'm not talking about not being physically exhausted, but what if you lived each, life, each day of your life, and at the end of the day, you looked back and you were like, that was so great, and tomorrow I can't wait to do it again. Imagine if you got stronger every day. I want to tell you, the saints are like that. Mother Teresa of Calcutta was talking to a man I know. And he's like, Mother, I don't know what to do. I've got too much work to do. And she goes, you mean you don't want to do more for the Lord? This is what Mother Teresa of Calcutta was like. You don't want to do more for the Lord? He goes, no, I'm trying to do less, Mother. I'm sorry. And she goes, ah, that is the problem. <laughs> but she wakes up every day and she wants to do more. She walks with ever-growing strength. So I read that psalm. And I think, this is how I want to be. And you turn it into a prayer. You say, Lord, I'm not like that yet, but make me like that. See what I mean? That's vocal prayer. Now, what that goes right into is mental prayer. Okay? Or meditative prayer. I call it meditative prayer here in your notes. Mental prayer. Anytime you leave the words behind and turn to God in your heart, you've entered into meditative or mental prayer. Now, which of the two do you think is better? Vocal prayer in and of itself, or mental prayer, which is a higher kind of community. Mental prayer. Let me tell let me give you an example why. Um, two friends uh, are talking to one another, and something happens. Maybe there's a joke they hear on a, they overhear on a television, right? And this joke reminds them of a joke they told one another a week ago. And they turn to one another and they shoot one another a look. And they both smile. Have they communicated? Yes. Is that communication deeper than any words can speak? That's what mental prayer is like. Make sense? That's how we want to be with God. And you can be that way. Now, what I've just described to you with the Our Father, or with Psalm 84, is the first kind of mental prayer. It's called Lexio Divina. Okay? And it's really very simple. You take a passage of Scripture that means something to you. Find one that means something to you. Okay? And you open it up and you read it. And you talk to God about it. Whatever that might mean. And you find one that means something to you. And give you an, I can give you a, a hint. Romans chapter 12. Open up Romans chapter 12 and you'll find it one exhortation after another. You can pray about any of them. Right? In as much as possible, be on, be on peaceful terms with all men. I love the way St. Paul says, in as much as possible. Because it's not always possible. Right? But you can pray about that. Maybe, maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe it's your co-worker. God, help me with this person. That's a great prayer. Okay? Um, 
you, you, you concretely apply it to your life. There's no set amount of material to cover. You don't have to get through a paragraph. You don't have to get through a page. Just get as far as you get and give it a set amount of time, right? That's mental prayer. When, when I say set aside time for prayer every day, that's what you want to do. Set aside time every day. And we'll get to this in just a second, like how much time. Um, Could you repeat Romans again? Oh, Romans 12. Uh, there's, it's phrase after phrase. It's bullet phrase after bullet phrase after bullet. You can pray. Another one is Matthew chapter 6. You'll love Matthew 6. Um, and, that, and, that's, and what happens, let me, let me tell you the next stage of mental prayer. It's called contemplative prayer, and I'm convinced you've all been here. When I say contemplative prayer, you might imagine that's something really lofty and like only monks can do that. But let me describe to you contemplative prayer. It's what happens when you go into pray and the words disappear completely. It's just the presence of God. Do you know what I'm talking about? That's contemplative prayer. If you ever experience it, please put the book down and bathe in it as long as you can. It'll usually last a minute or two, or maybe five if you're lucky. But that's what you want to, it's the highest kind of prayer there is. So you go to pray, and just like I described, maybe you start with an Our Father, maybe you start with your favorite psalm, maybe you start with your favorite passage from the scriptures, and then it turns into this kind of mental prayer where you're talking to God about your life, and then suddenly the words disappear completely, and you're just kind of in God's presence, you want that. As long as you can make it last, you want that, okay? That's contemplative prayer. You can't do it on your own. It's a gift. It's a gift. God has to give it to you, just like the weather. You can't make contemplative prayer happen any more than you can make it rain or make it make the sun shine. And when God sees that you're ready for it, he just gives it to you. And he gives it to you for as long as, well, as long as you want it. If you don't want it, you can just start thinking about something else. Start thinking about the plumber or thinking about whether you got a new message on your social media account or whatever it might be. Uh, but as long as you want it, the Lord will, will continue to give it to you. And this is the most deeply transformative prayer experience of all. Remember how I said prayer deepens your relationship with God and then your relationship with... This is by far the most powerful transformation. So please, what's the most important kind of prayer? Contemplative. And this can happen in the middle of vocal prayer. Like um, St. Philip Neri. Here's the bottom of your notes. Okay, St. Philip Neri used to have an agreement with his altar boy. He's like, I know I'm going to say Mass, and I know I'm going to zap into contemplative prayer, and I'm kind of going to lose track of what day of the week it is. And your prayer can get that deep, believe it or not, some of these saints. And here's what's going to happen if, here's what you should do if that happens. Put out the candles, go take a two-hour break, and come back. I'll probably be ready to continue. Those are some of the higher kinds. You can actually go into ecstatic prayer. I'm not saying any of these things are going to happen to you anytime soon, but it does happen, all right? You can actually lose track of the time. And you can, you can lose, and it can go on for a long time. Um, con- contemplation is not introspection. It's not navel-gazing. It's not dwelling on your own feelings. <coughs> it's not even strong emotional feelings about God. <coughs> um, let me tell you one of the greatest secrets about prayer. One of the greatest secrets about prayer is that it is not based on your feelings. Now, that's very hard for people to internalize. But people will think, won't they think this? Instinctively, they'll think if I have really happy thoughts about God, I must be having good prayer. And if I have no thoughts about God, or if I feel really dry, I must be having bad prayer. And I want to tell you that isn't true. You want to know how you judge your prayer? It's real simple. It's based on how you treat people. That's how you judge your prayer. It's really simple. I knew a man, he went to a, a, a priest, 
And he's like, I got a great prayer life. I say the rosary, I go to Mass every day, I say the litanies, I've got all these devotions. The priest says, great, 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 and great, but answer me this, how are you treating people? If you want to know if you're growing in prayer, ask yourself this, am I kinder than I used to be? Am I more patient than I used to be? Am I more forgiving than I used to be? If the answer is yes, yes, and yes, your prayer is good prayer. If the answer is no, no, and no, whatever you're doing, you want to retool it because it's not working. Okay? Um, I gave a New Year's homily one year. And I said, we all wish each other Happy New Year. We wished each other a Happy New Year last year. And a Happy New Year the year before that. Well, was this past year a good... Was it a Happy New Year or wasn't it? Answer me that. Was it a Happy New Year... Uh, yeah, yeah, no, no, yeah, yeah. People have different answers from different people. How do you judge whether it was a good year or not? Was it because the stock market went up? Was it because your favorite sports ball team won your favorite championship? Was it because, I don't know, you met some new relationship and now you're... What makes it a good year? Let me answer, you, let me answer the question for you, kind of from a spiritual perspective. What makes a good year is the exact same thing as what makes your soul pleasing to God at the hour of your death. Because your life is made out of nothing but years. If at the end of a year you're closer to God than you were at the beginning of that year, that was a good year. If you're more patient, if you're more kind, if you're more gentle, if you're more forgiving, that was a good year. The same, that's how you judge your prayer. Okay? So, you know, you'll find somebody who prays, but they're nasty. They're doing something wrong. Okay? They're doing something wrong. So that's how you judge your prayer. So mental prayer and vocal prayer, right? Okay. Effects. I've already described some of these to you in the course of our talking. It transforms your life just by receiving it. Your humility, your love, your fortitude, your patience, your purity. With every other virtue, they grow as if out of nowhere. You begin to learn something that nothing in the world can ever teach you. You begin to learn that you're more precious in God's eyes than anything in the universe. You start to overcome your sins. All your petty faults, like your overeating, gossiping, um, wasting time on the computer, petty faults, they begin to fade away. They just lose their stranglehold on you. And complaining and bitterness, they end. They start to lose their stranglehold of nothing else. And you begin to actually be able to, be able to forgive people even joyfully. Your closeness with other persons grows. Husbands and wives, they start listening and stop bickering. They stop saying, I have to have my way. Little things are seen as little. Big things are seen as big. How many problems in our lives happen because we see big things as little and little things as big? Most of our problems, okay? Um, all of your prayer begins to deepen, including your prayer of the Mass. What I've discovered is when I describe this to people, what I'm trying to describe to you right now, everybody has a universal response. They all say, Thank you for sharing this with me. Why didn't I know this sooner? If you pray, I promise that will be the effect in your life as well. Okay? So here's the, here's the kind of the rubber meets the road questions. When do you pray? Well, I'd like to advise you to pray in the morning. Because it's one time no one will ever interrupt. Okay? You can pray any time at all. You can pray when you pray best, you can, but pray when there's no distraction. But please understand, like any relationship that you care about, it's got to be daily. So pick a time when you can make a solid habit out of it. Okay? How long? How long should I pray? Depends on your life circumstances. It's my own personal opinion that everyone in the world can pray 30 minutes a day. 
You can spend that much time watching a television program. Um, you can spend that much time playing a game and not even know the time has passed. I think, but how long? The shortest answer to that is however long you can sustain. Listen, God is still God, whether you pray five minutes one day and 30 minutes the next day. However, for you, it's very hard to create a habit if you're constantly changing up your pattern. You ever tried to get a good habit going? It helps to have the same time every day and the same amount of time. Prayers like that, okay? So if you can sustain five minutes a day of what, I'm do, of what I'm saying, then give it five minutes. If you can sustain ten minutes a day, then give it ten. I think you'll discover, as you do this, that you'll want to do more. You'll discover that it's not enough. But what I'd like to tell you is start small and add. Don't start big and cut back. Because when you start big and cut back, doesn't that kind of discourage you? Yeah. Start with five minutes and turn it into ten, rather than starting with 15 and turning it into five. Okay. Um, another little thing, distractions. Don't worry about distractions. They actually aren't that big a deal. If you come right back from a distraction, nothing's been lost. I could talk about that for a long time, but we're kind of running low on time. Um, conditions for growing in prayer. Remember what I said? There's no growing in prayer unless you're serious about living the gospel with generosity. Okay? Um, with as, giving as much as you can. Uh, that you, when you want to grow in prayer, seek to do God's will. And here's what Teresa of Avila says. The whole aim of any person who's beginning in prayer, and don't forget this because it's very important, should be to work and to prepare yourself with determination and every effort to bring the whole of your life into conformity with God's will. You'll grow close to God the, clo- the more you want to keep his commandments. Some people think it depends on your life circumstances. It doesn't. People think, if I just had a different job, if I just had to have a different spouse... If I, just, if, I could, if I lived in a different neighborhood, if this changed, if that changed, no, the only thing, you are exactly where you need to be right now in your life. I don't care what's happened to you. Right now, you're exactly where you need to be to take the next step closer to God. You're not necessarily exactly where you need to be as far as God's greater plan is concerned, but you're exactly where you need to be to take the next step to God, right? Your life circumstances amount to nothing. What matters is your willingness, okay? Don't just fulfill obligations. Go generously beyond what's required. If you're in love, you don't ever do the minimum. You give everything within your power. Remember, it's impossible to go backwards. You can fall out of love just as soon as you fall into love. Okay? Um, and one tiny little thought. There is one thing and one thing only that can pull you away from prayer and it's not a problem. That is a work of charity. So if the baby's crying, and the baby's crying during your prayer time, God wants you to take care of the baby. Now, you want to try to set up a prayer time when you don't think the baby's going to cry, but if the doorbell rings, if something happens, you know, uh, here's the priest, he has to go to the hospital. A work of charity never hurts your prayer life. In fact, Teresa of Avila says that moment is better than anything you could have done in your prayer as far as bringing you closest to God is concerned. Okay, so do not worry about that. But the most important thing is determination. Most important, Teresa of Avila says, important indeed is that they should begin well by making an earnest and most determined resolve not to halt, that is to say, not to halt in prayer until they've reached their goal. Whatever may come, whatever may happen to them, however hard they may have to labor, whoever may complain of them, whether they reach their goal or die on the way or have no heart to confront the trials which they meet, even if the very world dissolves before them, don't quit. 
this leads to the relationship in prayer, the relationship with the Lord, which is the whole reason why we even have a church. Okay? And that's prayer.